0: Whether you're a parent looking to create confidence in your child or you want to get to the next level in your own life, let veteran broadcaster Marie Anderson and Olympian Holly McPeak leverage their experience and high-profile guests to help you do it like a boss. Download new episodes of Sports for Life every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car from True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or at home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Hey guys, do you miss when sports networks cover just the news and highlights without the yelling and fake debates? I know I do. That's why I watch CBS Sports HQ. What is CBS Sports HQ? It's the free 24-hour sports network that's built for fans like you and me. I love that I can get tons of highlights, analysis, and instant game reactions Everything that matters about the game without diving into political and social issues like on other sports networks. And if you enjoy placing some bets or competing against your friends in a fantasy league, their experts are always dishing out their top picks and advice to help me win. So check out CBS Sports HQ. It's always on and always free. No need to pay a subscription fee or have an expensive cable package. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Fire TV, Roku, or Apple TV to start watching today. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We are live, Sam. Live here on the YouTube channel. This is great. It's fancy. The whole, whole new setup leading us in. We've done live before, but we've got some more things going on behind the scenes that are making it a little bit tighter, which yeah, is great.
1: This is a whole like professional setup. We got a producer in our ear as opposed to just across the room. This is impressive. Yeah, try not to talk to the producer in your ear. Just I have never done that. The call I that have seen, inside baseball. I have seen people um, that work for Pro Football Focus that shall remain nameless answer the voice in their ear. And it wasn't me because you would never call me out. Correct. During yeah. live television, in fact. Yeah. Um, quite an impressive sight. You know, a voice comes in, tells you to wrap it up. Okay, you're not supposed to do that. No, no, you're not. You're not supposed to do that. Though they don't specifically tell you anywhere not to. It's just one of those, you know, taken as read pieces of information when you're doing TV well, or, or radio. Well, we're not formally
0: trained. This is true. Full disclosure, we have never gone through formal training. This is all natural, Having Sam.
1: said that, I have done a master's in international journalism. Really? Mm. So technically, I mean, depending
0: on where, you, where this all fits. It's a good thing you're taking over this entire video right. department here. Yeah. I mean, depending on where all this fits, I, you could say that I have had... Official, professional yeah. training. You're formally trained. Yeah. Alright, so this show today, we're going to hit on a couple pieces of news. Uh, first off, Ben Watson from the New England Patriots, a tight end, suspended for four games. Um, I want to touch on the Giants' secondary briefly. A couple things we've done on the YouTube video, uh, channel that we're just going to uh, you know, bring to the podcast here. And then we're going to hit the mailbag because we did, you asked for some questions. We got some good ones, ones that I think will, uh, will take us home, Sam, with some uh, good insights.
1: I want to get some more MS Paint play diagrams though this this off season. I think that was the highlight yeah. of last year was getting stuff drawn up on changing the game of football one MS yeah. paint slide at a time. When
0: the mailbag becomes more interactive. You know, it's Well look,
1: I I'm not sure I've seen a finer piece of play diagramming than that Hail Mary. The Hail Mary play with you know, encircling, grab hands the intended target. Grab that hands. was magical.
0: So if we can get a few more of those created we need to during get, the off season, what we really need to do, we've got some connections now. We should we should probably be able to get um, one of the refs who does you know some of the on air stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we get somebody to pitch a play, and then we get one of the refs on for like a five minute segment to say yay or nay. Like <laughs> to, this is illi- this is illegal. To like to the stepping on people yeah.
1: move and all that stuff to explain why that's
0: uh, illegal. Yeah. So, uh, something to aspire to. All right, let's start with the the Ben Watson news. Um, he was teasing retirement. I don't know if that was because he knew he had taken some kind of supplement. <laughs> Is that what uh, the rumors were? Um, but he's going to be missing four games. He, he, uh, New England essentially brought him out of retirement to pair with Austin Safarian Jenkins, trying to piece together replacing Rob Gronkowski. So, now they'll be without Watson for the four, first four games. Don't think it's going to kill New England. Um, initially but it does hurt their depth at a position where they have to replace one of the best of all time if not the best
1: yeah um it's interesting that it's the patriots though because if there's one team that probably doesn't care if you're gonna miss september it's the patriots true they're not you know they're barely turning up for september anyway if you come to them and you say look there's there's a problem i'm perfectly willing to sign for another year one last go around here but here's the thing i got popped for something i'm gonna miss four weeks at the start of the season sure most teams are like, oh yeah, that's well, f- that's a deal
0: breaker for us. An,
1: I'm afraid for an
0: older player too. Sometimes it you know keeps the wear right. and tear because you're pretty much going to be playing 15 or 16 games. Uh-huh. You know, so it's just take the wear and tear, save yourself in September, see you in October. Yeah. So most teams are like,
1: oh yeah, that's not going to work for us. The Patriots are like, I mean, we're barely turning up anyway. That's yeah. that's ideal. In fact, if
0: anything, we'd prefer that. Yeah, so they're going to get Ben Watson uh, after game four, so week five. Um, we did, uh, I did a video with, uh, our new friend, Solomon Wilcox, our new colleague working here at PFF. We broke down, Hey, what, what is this Patriots offense going to look like next year? They've grabbed Nikhil Harry in the first round Demarius Thomas, Dontrell Inman, all these bigger receivers. Is that the way that they're going to try to replace Gronk? You bring in Ben Watson, you bring in Safarian Jenkins. Um, so it is interesting to see which way New England leans here, right? They always seem to adjust on offense and try to be ahead of the times. I don't know if the big receiver is really the under... Everybody, anytime New England makes a move, they're like, oh, that's, that's it. They found the undervalued asset. The big, the big guys that can't separate, they're the undervalued asset. <laughs> I don't know if that's the thing, but I do believe in different style, different types of playmakers, and I think those guys can contribute in different ways, different from Edelman, different from Philip Dorsett.
1: Well, we've had this conversation before that what makes the Patriots unique is that they don't have a system, but they change... They do game plans. And right. week to week, they can be completely different. But it means that on offense in particular, that you've gone through several different iterations of essentially the same system, but they look completely different. You know, you've had this system that used the two tight ends, the Gronkowski and Hernandez. You've had the Randy Moss and Wes Welker era. Um, yeah, they were ha-
0: spreading out when teams were right. still wearing two you know, tight. you
1: the area where everybody was a slot receiver. Like, they didn't have legitimate big bodies outside. You had everything that worked over the middle. Everybody was an Edelman and Amandola or a Gronkowski. You didn't have a perimeter threat. And now it's okay. Gronkowski's gone. What does it look like now? And then you draft Nikhil Harry in the first round. It's like, well, what does that look like? Because if there's what. And Nikhil Harry does a lot of things really well. One of them isn't separate. Like, if you look at his targets, he's not open ever. Now he makes some spectacular plays despite that. But when you're pulling up a guy's highlight reel after they draft him, you're like every single one of these catches is there's a guy draped all over him. That's kind of concerning in a league where the trend right now is to get guys that will get open because typically guys that just win contested catches don't at the next level, or at least they don't do it consistently. Well, the, you know, the highest people in the NFL in terms of winning contested catches are at like 60-something percent. Yeah, and it's tough is, to be that consistent. Right, which is just it, right. about the baseline of, you know, general reception. So if you're saying the very best at doing this specific skill can only get it done about the baseline of catching, that means most people are nowhere near that, so it's not a good thing. If you're always expecting a quarterback to make the ball contested, that's not a great thing. It was interesting. There was I saw another Nikhil Harry highlight reel. Or highlight clip show up on Twitter the other day. It was like a bubble screen that and it was and Keel Harry turns, you know, nothing into something. Bubble screen, and then he ends up like reversing field seven times and going. He had multiple plays like that. Yeah, but this one it was only nothing because he dropped the bubble screen, which I thought was kinda of funny. It's like drops it, picks it up, now he's in hell because the play's gone and suddenly he ends up reversing field a couple of times and making a positive play. Like, okay. On the other hand, if you just caught the bubble screen in the first place, maybe it might have been better. Um, but well, he's, It's like
0: when you fumble, you, know, you bobble the punt a little bit, right. and it screws up the... He's just uh, this fascinating
1: player because the stuff that he does well, he's really good at. He's a great contested catch guy. He's great after the catch or with the ball in his hands, right. however it gets there, whether it's a drop, then a scoop. Um, but he's really good at that stuff. It's just that I don't ever see him get a separation on the outside. So does he become like New uh, New England's version of Marcus Colston, like a big slot that operates inside that has some bubble screen, trick play kind of capability, like a cross between Marcus Colston and Cordero Patterson.
0: Does he work the middle of the field a little bit? So that I, I initially said I think he could replace what they had in Brandon LaFell a few years ago, and that's going back a few years where LaFell would run you know, the back shoulder stuff against man coverage, run slants, be you know, do some things in the red zone, run some shallow crosses, things like that. Um, You can scheme people open too. It's not all, you know, um, when it comes to Harry. Um, But I also think when you look at how many tight window throws Brady did make to Gronk, right? There are certain times you have to make those, right? So they have to be replaced by somebody. So is it a Nikhil Harry? Is it a Demarius Thomas? Is it a Dontrell Inman? I think they're trying to find, all right, when we do have to beat man coverage, and nobody's open because there are a lot of plays like that in the NFL. Nobody is open, and you do have to back shoulder. You do have to throw it up and away from coverage. Give us a couple big catch radius guys. So you have a few of those guys competing for some snaps. You have an Edelman that can still get open. And then I think the other interesting aspect for the Patriots is they continue to stack up running backs. They use a fullback more than anybody. Now, they're not a power run team. This whole narrative that all of a sudden it's like, well, the Patriots are weaving when everybody else is bobbing, and they're just going to run the ball like they threw the ball. 100 times in the first two games right in the playoffs, right? But they do use James Devlin at fullback more than anyone else. They have Sony Michelle, who's more of a runner uh, than a pass catcher. They still have Rex Burkhead, James White, and they drafted Damian Harris. I think we will see more formations, and they've already started this, where there are two legitimate running backs out there, uh, non-Devlin types, and they split one wide and then one's in the backfield, and that's their way of – they've created mismatches with extra wide receivers in the, before. They've created mismatches with extra tight ends. I think now they're in this, let's create mismatches with extra running backs, right? We put James White out wide, and we put Barkhead in the backfield. Or we put both of them in the backfield. And you can run all sorts of stuff out of that. They did um, a lot with Cordero Patterson last year, who was essentially a running back wide receiver. So I think, I think that's where they're going, is just creating mismatches in different ways without a Gronk.
1: For years, one of their biggest... For years, the thing, maybe the, the single most defining characteristic of their offense has been finding ways to make you wrong from a personnel standpoint. So, you know, generally before every single play, defenses take a look at who's in the huddle, and then they, that's how they calculate what personnel they're going to run. So whether you're in base, whether you're in nickel, dime, et cetera, et cetera, it's all down to the count, right? How many wide receivers, how many running backs, how many right. tight ends are in the offensive huddle? That determines what we're going to line up with on defense. So the Patriots for years – have basically been working on ways to screw that up. So right. when you look in the huddle, you're wrong because you look, oh, Cordell Patterson's in there, wide receiver, DB comes on. It's like, oh, crap, now he's in the backfield. He's a running back. We've got a corner on the field. Where we've screwed up.
0: That's, to me, that's the biggest mismatch. Um, the Patriots started this back with the late Aaron Hernandez. Right. Um, where it's like he's, he's, he's a tight end. He's so a tight put, end. Keep a linebacker on the field. But with him, they were like, oh, he's a wide receiver. So we have to put a DB. Or a running back. But then when they turned him into a running back, that's what I'm saying. That's what completely changed the game. Seattle, I'm sorry, Pittsburgh did this a little bit with Ryan Switzer the last couple years, has put Switzer in the backfield as a runner. Um, Our boy Mike Renner was tweeting about this the other day. Um, It's not a unique idea, but saying, you know, that's kind of like the next mismatch opportunity is when a guy who's a wide receiver and is accounted for as a wide receiver becomes a running back. And the Patriots have dabbled with this. Before they'll start Edelman in the backfield and then motion him out and all that stuff. So um, I think it's either guys that shouldn't be carrying the ball that are carrying the ball or multiple guys who can right. carry the ball. I mean, the Patriots, the I place. think,
1: have probably the been the place. best team at doing that for years. Yep. Um, and they do it more consistently than anybody else. There are a lot of teams that have specific motions, you know, and try and do it for a, a key situation. third and eight. Let's try and manufacture a mismatch because we need to pick up eight yards. The Patriots, I think, do it as a staple part of the offense more than
0: anybody else. Yeah. And I th- honestly, I think they've been more creative than ever the last couple of years. Yeah. It used to be like, all right, Welker's generally going to be in one of these couple spots. The la- last couple of years, they were really, really interchangeable with all of their receivers. And I
1: think their system lends itself to this more than others because you know it, the way it works— You can run everything from every personnel and and formation, it's just easier to start messing around with stuff like that than it is for, you know, pick another random offense. Andy Reid's offense is going to be harder to do that because everybody needs to know everybody else's specific role with the verbiage, et cetera, et cetera. You need to, like, cross-train players by
0: position. The Patriots, you don't.
1: You just need to understand where
0: you're lining up, and then you're good to go. All right, let's really quickly discuss the New York Giants uh their secondary I did a whole video breaking them down and said hey this is an improved unit um even without Landon Collins it's not so much that they're taking this massive leap forward but I do like the fact that they the way they attacked the cornerback position in the draft and the different style cornerbacks that they've brought in Sam Beal from the supplemental draft and of course DeAndre Baker in the first round Julian Love in the fourth round Julian Love might be cross-training a little bit at safety in the future. Jabril Peppers comes in to more of a strong safety role. Uh, the actual free safety role, role, Antoine Bethea, Michael Thomas, just um, Michael Thomas, excellent special teamer. Bethea getting a little bit older. Uh, I think they're both you placeholders. Know, they're both placeholders. older? He's old. Yeah. Uh, placeholders. Um, Grant Haley can play a little bit of slot. So they've brought in guys. They can find a pretty good starting five is, is the point here the Giants, based off uh, what they've done this offseason? God,
1: I, thought I googled it because I assumed that Antoine Bethea, given how long he's been playing, would actually be older than us. Nope. What's he, like, 34? That's ancient for safety, though. Right. And yet still significantly uh, younger than we yeah. are. Yeah. That's kind of... That's sad. That's just bummed out my uh, my Tuesday morning.
0: Um, yeah. I've, I've said that before. It's, you know, an odd time in life when, like, the guy that's getting old and you know, sports...
1: I've, I've like, passed the point where getting old is, is our age. I thought, though, like... He's old. Like, he's been, he's been old for a while. Yeah. He's like, slow he must be to old. barely even yeah, walk. Yeah. Like, he must be older than us. No, not even close. Young um, buck. What's really interesting to me about this Giants secondary, for a smug self-sense of satisfaction, is that Janoris Jenkins has ended up being the player that we said he was when the Giants threw all the money at him and then played really well for one year, and everyone's like, ha-ha, you guys are idiots. He, he he just needed the, the right system, and now he's an all pro.
0: Yeah, he's been a one year wonder. Right, he had that one all
1: pro season, then he went back to being the same guy he was in St. Louis back then, which was pretty good. Which he's was a okay. guy who will make some plays, give up a ton of bad plays, and you end up with this
0: volatile, you know, hit or miss cornerback. And that's kind of what he's ended up being. One of the one of the worst things I think to happen to Giant to the Giants was having a good 2016 season. Sounds weird, right? We but to two- overachieve and make everyone think that they're contenders. Completely overachieved in 2016. Eli was actually worse that year than he was in 17 and 18. These last couple of years, Eli was like more reasonable than he was that particular year when they won all those games. But the defense, you know, Landon Collins was a defensive player of the year candidate, career year from Janoris Jenkins. They were excellent defensively that year. DRC back there making plays. I mean, it was um, it was a very good year for them but they also weren't a 10 or 11 win what did they ended up with 10 or 11 wins they were not that good so you go into 2017 with these high expectations and it's like no look at this roster it is not great right and 17 and 18 has kind of been the same story now daniel jones move aside we said look we liked the giants draft we liked a lot of the things that they did what they've brought in and if you just look in isolation they've done some nice things on the offensive line the last couple years they've done some nice things in the secondary at least you know throwing assets at it and uh i I think that will will do them well in the long term in this rebuilding process now for the right they're
1: they're interesting because i think that their their ability to identify talent is good so they find good players i think reasonably consistently or as good as anybody in you know the nfl and it's like the strike rate generally for identifying talent is not good Across you know league wide, generally speaking, people aren't dramatically better or worse than anybody else. But everybody's bad in terms of your strike rate. But I think the Giants in that spectrum are as good as most people. It's just that they don't they haven't worked out the um, the value component of it. It's like ah, this guy's good. We'll draft him, even though okay, but he's good at a position that doesn't make a big impact. So that's that's not a good place to spend your assets. So the Bill Prepper's thing, I think, is a great example, right? The tra- In fact, both trades with Cleveland. In neither case did the Giants get demonstrably worse players than the ones they shipped out. But what you did is send away two of the most valuable positions in the game and acquire two of the least valuable positions. Remind everybody what those were. So there's picks and stuff involved, but essentially the players traveling either way is Odell Beckham leaves um, and... Olivier Vernon leaves, so star wide receiver, star pass rusher, or at least prime pass rush, primary pass yeah, rusher, top twenty, right. Coming back the other way are Jabril Peppers, strong safety, and um, Kevin Zeidler, Kevin Zeidler, guard. guard. Yeah. So, and of
0: course, they got a first round pick, which they used exactly. So there's picks on Dexter Lawrence as well.
1: To it's not like a straight thing, but the right. idea is you've. The players you've targeted in these deals, you've got rid of the two, most Im- or two of the most important positions, pass catcher and pass rusher, and you bring in a guy who needs, really needs to play in the box as a strong safety and a guard, and those are essentially the two most replaceable positions in the NFL bar maybe
0: running back. I will say, though, all that said, so that's, those points are taken. We made those points back during free agency when those tra- uh, trades happened. The way they attacked the draft, though, going with three cornerbacks um, using actual picks on three cornerbacks getting Dexter Lawrence in the middle you know who's not just a two down nose tackle he you know the expectation is he can rush the passer well he needs to be because
1: the, the numbers the two down thing is now a misnomer right two down is now one down maybe like the NFL average last year for base defense which is what those two down players play on whether it's a Run thumping linebacker, whether it's a nose tackle that leaves on third downs, those guys are t- uh, base defense average twenty five percent league wide, right? And that's just of defensive snaps. So that's not even counting fourth downs that are mostly special teams plays. Twenty five percent. So at most, those two down players are a one down player, and it's really half a down now. But so for, for owning, a guy like
0: him, it's it's can he rush the passer enough and there's still value in stopping the run in those lighter boxes in a nickel set. The point is, yes, he needs to play a lot of snaps to justify the first round pick, but the fact that they have maybe the worst edge rush, rush situation in the NFL mm-hmm. with guys like Kareem Martin, they did draft O'Shea and Zimenez from Old Dominion, undersized some huge question marks. Guys like Avery Moss might be seeing snaps. I mean, they're just not really equipped off the edge. Lorenzo Carter, Marcus Golden was a pretty good. Hey, let's see what he has yeah. left. I mean, but they are really uh, band-aids left and right here yeah. is what they're using. Um, the fact that they didn't go crazy, you know, squeezing a guy in there, a Montez Sweat, whatever it was, right? Um, and they did attack the secondary. This is something that we would probably get behind based off all our findings. Hey, coverage over pass rush. So um, they'll be an interesting test case. Um, of course it a lot depends on how good deandre baker is the first round corner how good julian love is a guy we had a second round type of corner he got him in the fourth can janoris jenkins be a little bit better than he was the last couple of years jabril peppers is he used in the proper role sam beal sam beal you know supplement so they got all these pieces and interested to see how that all works out and i think the giants and the ravens are kind of the two test cases where they've put resources in the secondary the ravens are more proven in the secondary. They have legit one of the best top fives, mm-hmm. um, but both teams very limited pass rush options. Yeah. So the, I want to see how they make that work.
1: The Giants, in particular, I think, are just a work in progress. At the True. Moment. Like the, this, I don't f- it, like you said the, the 2011 season, sort of putting people's heads, or not 2011, 2016 season, putting people's heads that this team was a lot closer than it was. Right. And. They're really in the midst of a massive rebuild, one that, A, is going to be essentially determined by what happens to quarterback, whether they were right or not about Daniel Jones. But, B, I mean, this entire roster essentially needs to
0: be turned over, and they're just starting that process now. All right, let's get to... Mailbag. The mailbag. No questions? Yeah, we have some questions. Nice. What do we got? I got to fire them. I got to go find them. you. Sent them to me on Skype. Right, I, I got to go him, I got, find him, I got, him, I got The question.
1: Well, the first one somebody asked: Had you uh, taken to the gym and/or dieting? Because apparently you, you're starting to look pretty no. trim.
0: Fatter than ever. Fatter
1: than ever. Yeah. Wait, oh, hang on. Oh, wait, that- I went to the gym two weeks ago. That's uh, true? Does what? What's the What's the scale say now?
0: Uh, we're between two seventy eight and two eighty
1: three. Well, that's not fatter than ever. Then you've you've I've been up there. You've before. topped two eighty five.
0: Yeah, but I've been. When I was in training, I was up in that high 270s with muscle. Ah. Uh, yeah. That muscle has I mean, slowly evolved to fat. It's fun. It's interesting,
1: years. though, because when the, the occasion that you and I will go to the gym, um, and by that occasion, that means when I can actually get you there. This week. We're doing it. Do you want to go this week? Not today. I got so, lunch. you know, Steve doesn't do a whole lot of gym stuff anymore. But when he does, just by being your size, you remain absurdly strong at certain things. Thank you. Just by virtue of being a giant human being. Yeah. Like you are literally a hundred pounds heavier than me in existence. That's vaguely impressive. Just get out like hundred pounds. curls and everything. Yeah. hundred pounds yeah. is a lot of weight that you're just permanently yeah, carrying long around. Long
0: levers is tough though.
1: It is. So certain things you're in trouble because yeah. you know, your arms are nine foot long and that's just a lot of stabilizing that needs to happen. But there are certain things that you're just irritatingly strong at right out of the box you know? Usually back stuff. Yeah, anything back-related. Pulling. Pulse. You know, it's just it's ridiculous. Spent a lot of time pulling. So anyway, that's that question answered. Steve hasn't been going to the gym except that one time last week.
0: All right. Um, People are asking about this QB tier thing. Ah,
1: yes. This is right in your wheelhouse. You're all about the tiers.
0: I, I think tiers are very important. I haven't looked at the phenomenon that's going around. I'm trying to... Um, Avoid Twitter. trying to take a step back from Twitter a little bit. I'm trying not to get sucked in. Not that I don't like the interaction. I still want to put my thoughts out there and interact with the fans i need to not get sucked into like my timeline (laughs) and getting angry about stuff that doesn't matter and all that i'm
1: trying to focus on bigger things can i give you the most interesting thing about the qb tier thing to me what's that it's not who you put where which is obviously what like the purpose of the whole thing it's what you designate the tiers as being in the first place that interests me yeah so we had this discussion the other week about the tiers being essentially Related to money and team building, right? Like that's where that's what's starting to interest me the most. It's not, you know, elite, very good, good, average, bad, whatever. It's you've got this golden area of great quarterback rookie contract. That's like the jackpot, and then below that, it's just great quarterback, regardless of how much you are stuck paying him. Then it's then you get into this this gray area and the, the sort of different tiers of all right. Now I've got an okay quarterback who I need to pay a decent amount of money, or I just throw a dart at the draft
0: pick. Honestly, so we going back to the QB clustering thing that George and Eric uh, worked on. And this this came from us having back and forth discussions on you know, how do we define quarterbacks? And then they kind of let the math shape these clusters. And they came up with six basic clusters and here's how they shake out. Cluster 1 is your elite quarterback. And it's all based off of positive and negative grades in the quarterback system, essentially. So your tier one quarterback, it's Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, over time, consistently sitting in tier one, and they make a lot of throws, they don't miss a ton of throws. They make big-time throws, they don't have a ton of turnover-worthy throws, right? So those guys are pretty clear, right? Tiers two and three, clusters two and three, because they're not tiers, right? Clusters two and three are where the majority of the uh, quarterbacks in the NFL probably fall. And... The interesting thing thing there is it's not that cluster two is better than three. They're both kind of equivalent as far as quality, but the style is different. You've got boomer bust versus a safer prospect, right? So you've got your Alex Smiths versus your Jameis Winstons in clusters two and three. So cluster two is more of your... I actually forget which is which, but I think Cluster 2 is you're safer, not going to turn the ball over as much, not going to make as many positive throws, but he's going to keep you in games, that type of guy, versus the Cluster 3 guy, which is going to make more positives than Cluster 2, um, but also more negatives. So high positives, high negatives versus low positives, low negatives, you know, for just simplicity's sake. That's, and 20-something quarterbacks fit into those top three right. tiers, 20 to 25 quarterbacks. That's
1: probably. what's really interesting about this, whether you're dividing it up by the sort of money salary cap aspect or whether you're dividing it up stylistically. There are so much more interesting ways to look at it than just better than the other guy.
0: Right. Well, because uh, I think a big part of it is okay. If you have Carson Wentz or you have Deshaun Watson or you have Alex Smith, what do you do or what should you expect? That's a big part of it. What do you expect from this guy? And with Alex Smith, you say, okay, um, I know we like to poo-poo coaching, you know, QB winning percentage and all that stuff, but the fact that Alex Smith has consistently pretty much been on a winner, I think has spoken to his style of taking care of the ball, right? Now, do you want him to go out? I still, so I think he's capable of going out to win a game for you here and there, but he, does, he either chooses not to or stylistically you say, okay, he, we just want him to get us on the green, get us close. Whereas you do have a guy like Carson Wentz, the more you watch him, he can go win a game for you. Deshaun Watson can go win a game for you, but they could also lose it. Mm -hmm. Jameis Winston is similar, but at a lower tier than those guys. Carson Palmer was similar to, say, Carson Wentz. Cam Newton, those guys that can go win a game for you, but um, they'll lose one for you as well. Um, So I think knowing what you have is important. And then if you're an organization... If you have a Carson Wentz, I don't think his MVP season of 2017, MVP caliber season, is real Carson Wentz. I thought that was one of his peaks. Just like Cam Newton's peak right. was 2015. Can he hit now? a Peak doesn't mean it's the top you'll ever hit. It means in a 10-year career, you might hit three peaks, and that's going to get you pretty close. That's the other
1: aspect about all this, right? Is when. So in go, any, but it right. could be any given year. But that's the thing. So you, when you're when you're ranking all these quarterbacks. What are you ranking? Are you ranking them at their peak? Are you ranking them coming off their right. lowest ebb? Are right. you ranking somewhere their baseline, what you expect them to be going forward? Because, like, right now, you would say that Cam Newton is not good. But we've seen Cam Newton play like peak Well, that's
0: because you, because spe- you just speak in
1: not black me. and white. Other people, I've, I've looked at the tiers. People would say that he's not good. Literally not good. That was their tier, not good. So really? people out there are, would, would suggest that Cam Newton is not good. Uh, But we've seen Cam Newton play at an MVP level. So if you're ranking Cam Newton, what do you rank him as? Because when when is a relevant part of the discussion? I think
0: think seven years of information, seven or eight years that he's had of information is more valuable than the one year of 2015. But you know that the 2015 year is in there. Newton's interesting because when you break him down and what he's done as a runner and all the touchdowns and all these different things, I've seen people put this while he's a hall of famer but this hall of fame case out there but i still don't think throw for throw he's he's been a top 10 quarterback more than maybe twice right once or twice 2015 was very very good right and then there's a couple other years i forget specifically where he was like in and around the top 10 in our quarterback grades but there's a lot of years at 19th and 20th and i know last year he had the shoulder injury and all that stuff Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I've learned I don't want to piss off all the Panthers fans all the time. Well, I gotta, He I, had the shoulder. I'm working on my list of NFL teams. When we preview the season, we'll tell you how bad they were. Um, but Cam regressed back into what he was in 2016 and 17 after the shoulder injury. So essentially, you take his numbers in 16, 17, and 18. They're almost identical across the board. Positives and negatives and accuracy percentage and all these different things. And so last year, he kind of regressed with the shoulder but kind of back to where he was anyway and um i watched a little bit more of cam this weekend actually um while i was you know traveling and on vacation and you know you see that it it really is just like makes a great throw throws the deep out throws this you know nice pass where it's like that's an nfl throw and then he makes the same pass and leaves it behind for what should have been a easy pick six right so that has been i think the story of cam's career he has to be He's barely a top 50, not I don't want to. Uh-oh. He's in the 10 to 15 range at best when you're ranking the best quarterbacks. But yes, in any given year, it's not surprising to see him as a top 5 guy because he's in that volatile group. So he could be top 5 or he could be 25th, and we have actually seen that in his career. Hmm. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think so the bottom line with all this is I think the most important part of the ranking of the quarterbacks thing is what exactly you're setting your tiers as. Because so, that's way more relevant than the actual list or where the quarterbacks sit. It's what you're, what you're determining that by.
0: We could do this before the season. I, I mean, I really think if we're talking a potential tier one quarterback that you feel most – you just feel all this is playing the odds, right? You feel best about these guys being in the top ten in any given year in PFF grades. There's, there's ten guys that in the NFL currently right now That I think have separated them from the rest, and then there's a higher, and then there's the, then there's the safe guys, and then there's the boomer bust guys. And if you put Watson and Wentz and Stafford and Newton and all those guys in the boomer bust, then that gives you—it's not a cop out, but that gives you leeway. It's like, oh, when Stafford becomes a top eight quarterback this year, yeah, that makes sense. That's what he is.
1: Even those ten guys at the top, though, in any given year, two of them are going to have crappy years and not be in that top ten. So that's the other thing too.
0: So we, let's go back to the draft class two years ago. Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold versus Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and all that stuff. I even said, as much as we loved Baker Mayfield, think he's better than the rest of the group. And there's a big step down from him to Darnold to Rosen to Allen and all those guys. I said, there will be one or two years, maybe three years, where Darnold is better than Baker. Or Rosen has one or two years where he's the best. Right? I mean, that's fair. And this is what I said about the Watson, Mahomes, Trubisky class. In the right situation, like I don't know who's going to be the best coming out. We weren't as high. As a group, we weren't as high uh, high on Mahomes as maybe we should have been. But if Watson randomly has a better year than Patrick Mahomes in the next five years, is that going to shock you? No. I mean, Trubisky might shock us more now, but coming out, we thought that they were similar. We still need to see some improvement there. But that's the whole point when you're ranking these guys. The Jameis Winston, uh, Jameis uh, Mariota debate a couple years ago, it was pretty even. You know, some people liked one. Some people liked the other. And they've both been similar players overall, but they've gotten there slightly differently.
1: Mm-hmm. <sighs> all right. We got to move that? on. Sorry. I, I like it. this question. I could rant about QB I tiers know, all day, know. though. I'm I, sorry. I opened Did
0: door. that answer the question, at least? God, I don't think so. I,
1: I op- It was my fault. I opened the door. I knew, what was behind, I knew what was inside Pandora's box, and I opened it anyway. And now all of the evil of the world is flooding out of your Look mouth. Look at you moving me along. Towards... This never happens. Anyway, so uh, I didn't give... Who was that question from? Uh, At Advanced Lazy. No, I think that's the next one. Oh, oh. So this one is at Advanced Lazy. Slash Lazier Than Average is this Twitter Lazier Than Average, yeah. Has PFF discussed grading coaches? And if so, how would you go about it?
0: Yes. Yes, we have. Okay. Yes, we've started. The uh, most basic way to do it, I think, is... First off, let's just take grades aside.
1: Also, let's... (laughs) <laughs> to make the point early that this is unlikely to ever be something that will see the light of the day, f- or the light of day in terms of public, because you know we work with all 32 NFL. Right. Teams. Maybe on the
0: positive end, we'll already, give you like our top five right. here and, it's and there. Already hard enough to get yeah. those guys listening to us before you tell them the crap. We had a team come out last year and say uh, a GM basically say, "Hey, where where do our coaches rank?" Mm. And they weren't high. Yeah, it wasn't you know it puts us in a it puts us in a bind behind yeah, the scenes. Exactly. Um, so I think the the basic layer that you want to look at is how do how does a team produce either offensively or defensively outside of their grades now understanding that grades are somewhat dependent on the coaches putting guys in position to succeed and all that stuff but for example arizona a few years ago created a ton of pressure and did a great job with their blitz package where guys didn't necessarily grade well so if a guy gets this unblocked sack or pressure we could say, look, if the grades from a pass rush aren't great, but you're creating a ton of pressure and havoc and sacks from blitzes, there's something schematic going right. on there. The other way around on offense is if you have a bunch of easy throws, essentially, that turn into big plays, is one way to say, now some of that's playmaker-driven, but a lot of it's scheme-based, and that's how you isolate the coach, I think, from the players. Separate grades and production.
1: Yeah, most of th- it, mean, a lot of the time, Grades match up well with production, and it's easy to draw the straight line. This guy is playing really well; therefore, his production is fantastic. Everybody's happy. Right. A lot of the, sometimes the two don't mesh, so you get a guy whose grade is not great, but the production is off the charts, and everyone goes, "Hey, PFS wrong because right. this guy's playing better than you than his num- or than your grade is." Like, well, or he's not playing better. He's not playing as well as his statistics suggest, but something else is happening to make the production better. And you think of Trubisky and Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy last year as a perfect example of this, right? right? We got crap all year long. Hey, Trubisky's way better than you think he is because look at all these numbers. Like, okay, but we've heading into the year, we were telling you all about what a great offensive system this is that Matt Nagy's going to be bringing over from Kansas City. All the RPOs, all the designed easy plays, all the, the the things that should... Uh, help out a quarterback to make it easier to produce and therefore if he just plays you know reasonably that, that offense is going to be virtually unstoppable so all of those things happened like the offense the system was still great therefore Trubisky's numbers looked great and those but the answer of what was driving that was a large part of the coaching so understanding that relationship and when the grades don't necessarily sync with the production a huge Proportion of that is attributed directly to coaching and to
0: scheming. And even if you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, whose grade was spectacular last year, he also had we Andy right. Reid is one of our top play callers, which is last why he year.
1: winds up with five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns. Right. Like so when, when the two come together, you end up with absurd production.
0: You have an historic season like uh, Patrick Mahomes did. So there are ways to do that. I think the other way to do it that we're continuing to explore is at an individual player basis. How do their grades and or production match from one coach to the other? So if you have a guy like, say, Trent Brown with the Patriots where he struggled in a certain system and then he was really good under Kyle Shanahan and he was good under Dante Scarnecchia, can you put a line in the sand and say, okay, this coach had him and he wasn't great and then this coach had him and he was good and this coach had him and he was good and you try to you know, run the numbers on that too? The other
1: thing we will be able to do um, is essentially do it on a play calling basis in terms of uh, when should you have gone for it in fourth down. Yeah. That's a whole different right. aspect. That yep. kind of thing. So we've got a system on the back end, George and Eric have been working on this um, system. They've, <clears throat> they've dubbed PFF Walsh, which essentially tells you when you should go, you know, the probability of winning, win probability on given certain situations. So you'll be able to tell which coaches went for it when they shouldn't have, which coaches played the numbers correctly, and who was just, you know, essentially guessing? So we'll be able to quantify which guys are actually
0: playing the odds correctly and which guys aren't. Kev Cole, who we uh, just hired to join uh-huh. the R and D departments, asking who the best graded coaching staff is in the NFL. Huh. We'll find out when you get into the office, Kev. <laughs> that's, a, that's about it. Ask George. Just send George and Erica a text. I know Kansas. City, I know last year offensively, Kansas City was up there. New England was up there. New Orleans was up there. Maybe no surprise. All very good offenses, all great quarterbacks as well, but they also had uh, really good play callers in there. Um, the one last thing I'll add on that: for all the flack that Chip Kelly got, he interesting. Yeah, music for we all get, the flack that played Chip. Off? Are we get there's music in my ear. Are You guys hearing this too? We're very professional here. This is that's that's how we do it, right? Yeah. We talked about not talking. Well, I thought that, that was the like the
1: you know the the hook. Coming in, from have we off gone stage too long to uh, to grab people off? We have rambled quite. We a We have. Bit. I, we need to be out of here soon because there's people waiting to meet me right now.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, I won't even mention the, the Chip Kelly thing, but he did a good job of um, scheming open throws.
1: One last question, and this is this is a challenge, Steve. Keep it. Keep your answer to one minute or less. Fine. Uh, this guy from hashtag just the safe on Twitter. Mm. Okay. Uh, Do you think players like Rashawn Gary, rated low in PFF, can improve with NFL coaching and become top tier at their position?
0: Um, I think they could definitely improve. I I think, like we've said throughout the entire draft process, though, we're just playing the odds on this. The idea that Rashawn Gary will dramatically improve at the NFL level is possible, yet a low probability. Mm -hmm. Now, if he does have good coaching, and maybe you combine that with a move to the interior, and you take advantage of his skill set, and he is a freak athletically, um, and he hasn 't played a ton of football at Michigan. all those things kind of add up and you 've got this you know perfect uh, perfect storm of you know gary right scheme right coach see some improvement absolutely possible but it 's just risky it 's right. risky at the twelfth pick and it 's risky to expect that at the next level and here 's the other way of looking at upside and all that stuff you need this and this and this and this to all go right for Rashawn gary to To hit where there are other players where you just need maybe like two things to go right Right. or maybe not much else to go right. That's the whole thing, right? This whole idea of upside and the idea that it's this much higher, um, all upside is, is you need more variables to hit to get to where maybe other players already are.
1: That was my point last year with Baker Mayfield, right? People were always saying, well, Darnold has got, he's young and he can do this and like five different things. You're like, okay, if all of those go right, you end up with a guy who might be as good as Baker Mayfield is. Or you could just take Baker Mayfield. Like, Why would you ever pick the other guy, number one, ahead of the guy that's already there? Because if all these things go right, he could be two percentage points better.
0: And real quick, Renner did describe this really well when we discussed Gary and said, look, if he runs a 1.5 10-yard dash and the next guy runs a 1.55, I mean, it's a difference, but it doesn't mean the 1.5 gives you this much it's like more six upside inches it's minimal track. right so that he's not that better that much better of an athlete than say the next guys who are already better football I think
1: players the point with all this stuff is that it's not a linear mathematical equation right it's not that this guy can't this guy can you know you don't just add them up and say well that's a great player like these guys almost all players can do certain things you know players with Incredible athleticism, of course, could be much better because they have the tools to do it. You match them up with all pros with the same tools. You know, okay, the, the, the ability is there. Right. It's just how likely is it that it will prove all the things that aren't letting them hit that potential right now? The only occasion – there are very few absolutes where you're like, there is no chance, none, that that guy becomes the Who next is guy. Well, so Who Josh Allen, right? Josh Allen could. There's absolutely... Josh Allen, the quarterback. Yes, Josh Allen, the quarterback. There are absolutely the tools there where you say, okay, he could put it all together and suddenly become an all-pro. Definitely the the potential is there. Christian Hackenberg...
0: Literally zero. There was
1: literally zero chance that he could ever become a top-tier quarterback. But those are very, very rare, those instances of no chance, zero, never going to happen.
0: Yeah. That's why people like, Oh, is Josh Allen the next Christian Hackenberg? We're like, No. no I mean he he, he had better. he had his two thousand sixteen year at Wyoming was right. really good and you know, there was some. He's got the arm,
1: there. he's huge, he, he can jump over Anthony Bar. Yeah. All I mean, those things.
0: There could be a year where he has twenty five passing touchdowns, another Definitely. eight rushing, and it's like, ah, oh, pretty good year. Josh All right. Allen. We're done. All right, that's it. We're uh, out. Sam has meetings. You're I have just meetings. Mr., you're uh, coming into
1: them as well though, remember?
0: Oh, I I'm in this? Yeah. The ten o'clock? A little bit. <sighs> All right, so I just need your looming presence. We are senior management here Doing at PFF. We have many things to do, so we're going to wrap yeah. up the podcast. We might do a bonus podcast, though. I don't want to promise anything. Might do a bonus podcast. Yeah, how you getting at. You Don't How's promise. You no just, promises. Tease. Underpromise, overdeliver. It's mm-hmm. what we do here at PFF. Um, we've also overdelivered on PFF Elite and PFF Edge. Go check out those products because they're 365 days of access, and it's a great time to get in. We'll talk to you at the very least next monday and maybe that's a voice. that was not Ooh. that was a voice crack. yeah what happened there redo that oh wait we're live yeah we're live all right fine we'll just see you next monday or maybe on a bo- bonus podcast thanks guys quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can re-watch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in Week 1. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.